With my busy life, I use Shipt same-day delivery to keep up. When I need a jar of extra creamy peanut butter delivered, I know my personal shopper Amber will come through. And if it's not on the shelf, she asks them to check the bag. Shipt, delight in every delivery. Learn more at Shipt.com. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. This episode of Clear and Vivid with Franz Duvall is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Discovery. For more than 30 years, Discovery's global networks have been helping hundreds of millions of viewers understand their lives, their communities, and the world around them. From science and nature to food and lifestyle, and now the world's biggest sporting events and greatest names in travel and documentary films, the Discovery family proudly informs, entertains, and powers the passions that drive our planet. In a fast-paced world... Every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. I'm Alan Alda, and this is Clear and Vivid, conversations about connecting and communicating. MailChimps are very opportunistic. They're, they're always after power. And so if I can get it with your support, I will do that. But if, if I meet a better friend or one who is a bit stronger, or a bit more loyal than you are, I will switch to the other friend. Oh, so it's like Congress. Yeah, it is like politicians. But it's only the males who are like that. The females, they stick with their friends. They never have a conflict with their friends for some reason. I don't know how they manage to do that. But the males are very strategic and always opportunistic and always changing position. Franz Duval began studying chimpanzees when he was a student at the Burgers Zoo in his native Holland. For the last 30 years, he's been the director of the Living Links Center at the Yerkes National Primate Center in Atlanta. For a long time, I've admired his insights into the social lives of chimpanzees and what they reveal about the roots of our own behavior. I also admire his skill at sharing those insights in several best-selling books, his latest is the poignantly titled Mama's Last Hug. Franz, I'm so happy that, that you have a chance to talk with us today. Ever since I first visited you at Yerkes, where you've observed chimps for so long, I've thought about our meetings, and I've thought about how they relate to us as humans and how similar we are to our cousins. And you've really been at the forefront of helping us understand that. The title of your latest book, Mama's Last Hug, is really where I think we ought to start because that story of Mama's Last Hug is so central to, in a way, understanding who we are and, and, and what makes us who we are. How did you know Mama? I started my studies uh, as a young student um, at the Burger Zoo 
where she was already alpha female at the time. Uh, so I've known her for 40 years. Uh, I studied her carefully at the time, and then I left. But each time I left for the U.S., but each time I came back, maybe once a year, once every two years, she would uh, recognize me even among hundreds of visitors. She would pick me out, and she would want to say hello, and I would usually... Later in the day, I would go to her night cage because they lived on a big island, and so I, could, I certainly couldn't go there. But I would go to her night cage where she would get food, and I would talk a little bit with her. And so we, we were friends for a long time. And the professor who did the last hug with her was my professor at the time. So he also knew her for 40 years. And um, he was about 80 when he went into the night cage with her to say goodbye because she was dying and she was very weak. We normally go never in with an adult chimpanzee. You would never. They're, they're much stronger than we are, like three or four times stronger. Yeah, right? the, the, the males are supposed to have five times human male arm strengths, and the females maybe three and a half times. And they're, they're kind of unpredictable, yeah, that, I, I, I gather. Yeah, they can be unpredictable, yes. And yet he felt he could trust her because he knew her so well. Also, he, he knew her so well, but also she was very weak at the time. So she was she died uh, two weeks later. So even if she changed her mind, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but she, uh, yeah, she was very um, uh, positive. She, there was no moment of tension between the two. There's a wonderful, a wonderful description in your book about how she put her arms around him in a mm -hmm. very warm embrace and patted him on the back, almost the way it reminded me of how I would pat my daughters on the back when they were one year old. Yeah, yeah. One year, yeah, he, one, she, one year she old. She calmed him down instead of the other way around. She, she must have noticed that uh, Jan van Hoof was nervous to get in the night cage because we normally never do that. And so she was surprised, but also she... Um, she reacted to his uh, nervousness, I think. That's a striking story, but in a way, for me, even more striking was how she got to be the mama of the troop. Mm -hmm. She was, she seemed to be an expert politician. Yeah, yeah. She could, she could, she could resolve disputes just by, just by an, anointing somebody as being okay or what? Explain was, that. How did that work? She was the only one because she was the alpha female. She was older than most and um, she was so highly respected that in the middle of a fight, she could just walk in the middle and um, stop it. And uh, other females, if they would do that, they would probably get beaten up. Uh, but um, no one is going to do that to her. I still remember a case where we had a young alpha male who was not very accepted by the group, and um, he, he imposed his will, so to speak, but um, they also chased him on occasion. And so the whole, the whole colony had chased him into a tree, and he was in the top of the, tr of the tree screaming, and he couldn't get out. Each time he came down, the other chimps would chase him back up. And, and after 15 minutes or so of that, um, Mama very slowly, because she was a very slow female, she slowly climbed up that little tree, and she touched um, the alpha male, and she kissed him, and she brought him back down, and no one objected anymore. So that was a bit like she was a bit the representative of the of the colony. Like if she decided to do that, then it was okay. If somebody else had done that, I'm sure I would not have been okay. What gave her the power to do that? I don't know. I think in in chimpanzee females, it's mostly personality and age. It's that combination is that some females rise to the top, but they will only rise to the top after a certain age. 
the younger females, even if you have, let's say, um, some 25-year-old females and mama is, let's say, 50 uh, and she is very slow walking and certainly not physically up to par, uh, the young females cannot dominate an older female. It's a bit, I think in human society, it's not so different. Older women usually, usually dominant over younger women, I would say. But somehow in a mixed male-female environment, they're not only dominant over the females, but they have the power to interrupt power struggles among the males. And that, that's, that seems to go against mm-hmm. the idea of the alpha male to me, the way I, I understand it in a rudimentary way. It's funny that you say that because people have the idea that the alpha male can do whatever he wants. He's the boss and he can do whatever he wants. That's not really true. So, for example, if a high-ranking female like Mama has a big watermelon because in the captivity we give them that kind of things, and um, she's not sharing. The, the the male cannot take it from her. If he were he he could physically take it from her, the alpha male, but if he were to do that, she would start screaming and and raising hell, and there would be lots of other females who would support her, and they would go after that male, and he he might keep his his watermelon, but he would would have lost female support. The the, the whole system in chimpanzees is a very political system. Is the alpha male cannot be alpha without support of a substantial part of the group. And so he has his buddies, of course, other males who help him, but he also needs female support. And so the alpha male has to be careful with a female like Mama because he needs to keep her on his side. And that gives her an enormous amount of power. And the younger females don't have that. The younger females, um, they, they don't influence the political processes like that. And Mama was, even went so far as that she would enforce her will. So, so let's say she prefers a certain male as alpha male and she supports him in his contests with other males. Uh, if there was a female who picked another male, she would go against that female. She would uh, let it be known very clearly, physically, uh, that this was not her choice and that the other female better falls in line and supports the male that she wants. It's such an interesting idea that they have a, a very detailed and intimate knowledge of the political uh, structure of their group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the male chimps are very opportunistic. They're, they're always after power. And so if um, if I can get it with your support, I will do that. But if if I meet a better friend or one who is a bit stronger, or a bit more loyal than you are, I will switch to the other friend. Uh, oh, so it's like Congress. Yeah, it is like politicians. <laughs> but it's only the males who are like that. The females, they stick with their friends. The females have certain friends. They never have a conflict with their friends for some reason. I don't know how they manage to do that. But they uh, have these very stable, uh, lifelong friendships. But the males are very strategic and always opportunistic and always changing position. The idea that we have, that we humans have abilities that are not shared by other animals is we we keep trying to stake out mm. an area that we alone have mm-hmm. and and your book uh, and your, your your years of work seem to knock out most of those differences yeah because of my limited understanding of other animals i i had said to my wife arlene a couple of weeks ago you know i have a feeling that the ability to laugh 
is probably ours alone. <laughs> and then I read in your book, it's not true. You no. see, you, you've got a version of laughter. Tell me about that. Yeah, that is, uh, that is uh, the idea comes from Aristotle, who said only humans laugh. And, um, and, and, and he also literally said that if the, the, when babies don't laugh, um, they have no soul. Only when they start laughing, they have a soul. So, oh, <laughs> yeah. another, another another mistake made by one of the smartest people who ever lived. <laughs> so, <laughs> laughing, actually, you know, the, the laugh expression and the laughing sound is very common in play uh, among apes. So, when apes tickle each other, and if, or if or if you if I tickle an ape, young apes they have the same tickling spots as kids in the, under their armpits in their belly. They do the same thing as kids. Is if you tickle them. And you move your hands away, they, they're waiting for you to come back because even though they push your uh, hands away, they want to be tickled. And they have these yeah. laughing sounds like <laughs> type. It is much softer than in our species, but the facial expression and the sound are very similar. And so uh, laughing is really not limited to, to us. And, and there's also indications of a sense of humor. So people would say, yes, maybe the apes, they laugh on occasion when they play, but we also laugh at amusing situations. Um, but I, I have many examples of the sense of humor in the apes, and we don't have experiments, unfortunately. I think we need more experiments on this, but if you play a But magic... you've observed them laughing at amusing situations. Yeah, absolutely. What, what, would, what would be one? So one was a, a colleague of mine who had a panther mask, and he would hide in the bushes uh, at the burger zoo, and, and the chimps would be on the island on the other side of the moat. And each time he would show his face out of the bushes with the panther mask on, they would get very upset, the chimps. They would start throwing stuff at him. It became a very unpleasant and very smelly uh, business. And so, <laughs> <laughs> and he would stick his ha head out multiple times. And at some point he stood up and he, he very clearly, he took the mask and he took it off his face. And so now all of a sudden the chimps saw this man that they knew and uh, several chimps, including Mama, they had this big laugh expression on their faces if they thought this was sort of an amusing situation here. So, yes, there are indications that they have a sense of humor, too. This reminds me of um, Robert Provine. Oh, yeah, yeah. Robert Provine, yeah, yeah, I know you know, him, yeah. Robert Provine studied laughter mm. in humans. Yeah. And his conclusion was very interesting. And I've, I've observed my fellow humans, and it really seems to be borne out that most of the time that we laugh, we're not laughing because something is funny. We're laughing as a social cue yeah, yeah. to the other person that everything is okay. We mean no harm. Mm -hmm. Like like um, someone will say, can I put my coat next to you? <laughs> you know, it's, not, it's not a funny idea <laughs> no. to put your coat next to somebody. <laughs> but, but it's a way of, of signaling that there's no aggression going on. Is, is, do you observe something like that among chimps? Yeah, it's a very important signal in humans. So, for example, if I walk up to you and I slap you on the back and I do it without an expression on my face, you're going to be sort of confused, like, what is he doing here? <laughs> but if I laugh at the same time, you say, oh, it's fun, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's playful. And in chimps, that's, yeah. that's certainly the, the play face is always, we call laughing usually the play face. The play face is always used to signal good intentions. Like, you, you may, a male may be, let's say, dragging down a female and biting in her back and and all of these things that could be interpreted as aggression by the female. But if he does it with a, a playful sound and a playful expression, she thinks it's fun and she will have a laugh expression also. There's sort of rough wrestling between the two. And so the, the interpretation of what happens between them is completely dependent on that facial expression. 
What does that look like? What does the play face look like? Like a human laugh, it's it's an open mouth with um, usually the, the 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 lips cover the teeth, so the teeth are not bared. It's an open mouth and it has a laugh sound with it <laughs> type sound. There's another another aspect of the difference between us and say chimps that we, I think, have we've made a big deal out of our belief that we are aware of death and hmm. other animals aren't. Hmm. And I've seen, I saw on the side of a road, in the middle of a road once, where a cat had been run over, and another cat was sitting, looking from the posture as though it was mourning. But, mm-hmm. but that's, you know, mm-hmm. the meme, I, I immediately assumed I was reading something into it. Yeah. But you've seen them aware of death kind of incontrovertibly, I think. Yeah. I, I think the, 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 the great apes and also some other species like dolphins and, and elephants, they certainly have an awareness of death of the other. Whether they know that they themselves one day are going to die, which, which we call the sense of mortality, uh, that we don't know. But they certainly have a very strong reaction to the death of somebody else, and they know, I think, that it is um, irreversible. For example, when an infant dies, a, a female chimp has a, has a baby, the baby dies, you see an enormous change in her behavior. The, the, the baby may have been sick before, but now it is dead, and the female becomes depressed, doesn't eat anymore, starts screaming at random moments. She's extremely distressed. And we know from studies on rodents, actually, that um, that is also physiological stress, very similar to the cortisol levels that we humans have when we are grieving. Uh, there's a physiological response also. With everybody dying around them eventually, either violently or from old age, is there any way that you've thought about to try to test what their awareness of their own death might be? How would I test that? That's the question. What would I see? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I know. That's that's uh-huh. that's why I asked you. I, we, I mean, I've 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 wondered if you thought about that, yeah. and uh, tried to crack it somehow. No, I, d- I don't know how I would do that Un- unless I do some terrible experiment. <laughs> so, <laughs> but but that's not the sort of thing I want to do. <laughs> this um, connection that you have with them emotionally. And from the way you describe it, their emotional connection that's possible with you is something that I imagine that people through your career have accused you of as being anthropomorphic and imposing your own belief of your Mm. consanguinity with these people, with these uh, chimps, uh, unfairly. Has that been a problem in your career? Well, not so much with my colleagues, I think, because... Other primatologists, they know how this works. Is you, can, you can feel very close to these animals. You can actually be very close to them, as, as I am in, certainly in captivity, more so than the people in the field, maybe, uh, so that you know them personally and they greet you and all of these things. But you can still collect objective data. And I think all primatologists know that, is that you, we have rules of how we collect the data and how we categorize them and how we define certain behaviors. We have rules for that, and um, that is not something I can change. And so when I stand on the tower, let's say, that overlooks my chimpanzees, where you also were one time, uh, and, I, and I look at them and I have a tape recorder or a video recorder to record their behavior, 
that I can do without any interference of my preferences or aversions. Uh, but it is important to get along with them if you do certain experiments. For example, I do experiments on, let's say, cooperation or food sharing or, and so on. The chimps don't want to work with, um, with people that they don't like. And so they, <laughs> you have to get along with them. Otherwise, you cannot do these things. I loved what you said about people who complain about your possibly being anthropomorphic about the animals, that you have a term for them. They're anthrobenial. What is it? Anthro- They're anthropodenialists. An- anthropodenial. So the, the anthropodenial <laughs> is the opposite of anthropomorphism. So we are being accused of anthropomorphic. If you say, my dog is jealous, they say, don't be anthropomorphic, even though everyone who has a dog knows that dogs can be jealous. But we're not allowed to use these terms. And so they give us all sorts of terms that we can use, like if chimpanzees kiss, you have to call it mouth-to-mouth contact. Or if they reconcile, you call it post-conflict behavior. Or if they um, laugh, we call it vocalized panting. We, we have all these terminologies that they want us to use to stay away from human terminology. But by doing so, we create a distance that is not really there. We, we artificially, by our language, start to create a distance that doesn't uh, really jibe with, with evolutionary theory, which says, says we are very similar, we have similar expressions and probably similar emotions. And so I prefer to use the anthropomorphic terms, terms certainly with animals close to us, like the primates. And I think people who don't do that, they are in anthropodenial. They deny the connection between us and them. They can deny that we humans are animals. And if you look at academic life, the departments of anthropology, philosophy, some parts of psychology, the humanities, they are all in anthropodenial. They're all stressing how we humans are something special and something different. And yet I get the impression that you go to great pains, great lengths, to check that you yourself are not imposing your own ideas, your own uh, yeah. biases on, on, on chimps, as, as any scientist would. Yeah, so, for example, in, in the emotion research, I make a distinction between emotions and feelings because I, as a scientist, cannot know the feelings of a dog or a chimp. or I cannot even know your feelings. Like, like you may tell me that you're sad or that you're happy. I don't know how that feels in your case, and I, I, I may have a better idea in your case than with, let's say, chimps, but still... Uh, feelings are hard to know, and so in my study of the emotions of animals, I usually say I, I cannot know exactly what the feelings are, but emotions I can measure. I, I can see them in the face and, and hear them in the voice, and it, it changes odor, blood pressure, heart rate, cortisol levels. It changes all sorts of things in the body, and I can measure those things. I, you tell me more about that, because it's, it still sounds to me like emotions and feelings are the same thing. I, I've always... Uh, kind of generally thought that an emotion is a feeling of a certain kind. Oh, yeah, it's because... So, so help me with that. I'm, I don't get it yet. I think um, emotions are bodily states that prepare you for certain actions. So, for example, fear. or Let's, let's take fear, actually. Fear withdraws blood from the extremities, and that's why humans get cold feet. We call that, and that's our fear response. We get cold feet. <laughs> right. And uh, rats, for example, they get cold feet and a cold tail also. Uh, so, so, huh. so that the whole bodily response of fear is very similar and prepares us for action because when we're fearful, we need to either freeze and hide or escape or fight. Uh, fear prepares us for um, some danger. 
uh, and we need to meet that danger and 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 the fear response uh, activates the amygdala in the brain also in humans and in rats and so we know that the bodily changes associated with fear are very similar across the board and they evolved in order to keep us safe now the feeling of being afraid and the feeling of fear is is a sort of conscious state that is a private state that is not necessarily measurable. So whether you feel fearful, um, I'm not sure I can measure that. And I, you can you can talk about it, you can explain it to me. So, so we communicate that by language, but um, the feeling of fear is hard to measure. When we come back, Franz describes how a brutal murder sparked his fascination with how chimps and other animals make up after fights. And I share a reconciliation moment of my own when a young chimp offered me what appeared to be an apology after slugging me in the jaw. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. This is Clear and Vivid, and now back to my conversation with Franz Duval. I think you've spent a great deal of your life trying to understand reconciliation, which came out of, if I'm not mistaken, came out of your study of a, a particular murder mm-hmm. among chimps. Yeah. Tell me about that. I, I just know a little bit about it. So in the, in the Burger Zoo, when I was a student there, um, two males ganged up on a third male and basically killed him. Well, he was not dead when I arrived, but he died soon thereafter. And so, yeah, it was a very brutal murder. He lost a lot of blood. He lost his testicles also. And uh, at at the time, actually, since this happened at the zoo, we thought maybe it's a product of captivity. Maybe um, it's our fault that they are together, these males, and they do these things. But now we know from work in the field there's at least 10 cases of males within the group who have killed each other. There's lots more cases of males between groups, of between different groups who have killed each other. And so killing of other males is not really um, that rare in chimpanzees. But at the time, I was very affected by it. In addition, the male that who was killed was one of my favorite males. And so I was very affected by the whole thing. And I decided, since I had already discovered that chimpanzees reconcile after fights and that they kiss and embrace each other after fights, I thought, I need to pay more attention to this. I, I haven't done enough on this. And, and, and my fellow scientists were not taking reconciliation very seriously because at that time, everything in the animal world and actually also for humans 
was about selfishness and greed and competition and who wins and who loses. Um, we had a very cynical view of human nature and also of animal nature and reconciliation behavior didn't fall under that. And so I decided, um, well, uh, I'm still going to study it. I think it's an important behavior. And now we know from we are now maybe 300 studies further by all sorts of people. We know that reconciliation is very common in all sorts of species, all sorts of social species, dolphins, elephants, wolves, hyenas, all sorts of social animals have reconciliations after fights. I think I experienced once the uh, the reconciliation moment. I was, I was uh, allowed to go into the cage with a very young mm-hmm. chimp. Mm-hmm who had been raised in captivity and I think had been born in captivity and was being trained how to live in the wild mm-hmm. so so that it wouldn't be dependent on the, the keepers anymore. Um, and as, as you've mentioned, they're, they're a little unreliable. So he was cute as a button was, as I sat with him, but at one point he just slammed me in the face with his fist <laughs> and knocked me over. I see. He was a small little guy, but he knocked me over like a ton of bricks. And, and I was a little surprised. didn't hurt too much. I was a little surprised, but then they said, oh, look, he's apologizing. <laughs> he, he held out his hand toward me with the, his uh, fingers closed, not like a fist, but mm-hmm. like, a, like a cupped hand turned over. Uh-huh. And uh, I don't know if that sounds familiar to you, the way I'm describing it. Yeah, yeah, that's what chimps do. They they put uh, the back of their hand in t- into the mouth of the other, which is a sort of an apology, yeah, and a sort of reconciliation. Oh, he was, I, I, yeah, yeah I, I don't think I let him get near my mouth. No, you, you were probably having, afraid of this. Having, but in the, in the meantime, having hit me in the head. In the meantime, he, he had gained important information about you, is that you can be knocked oh, over. Oh, tell me, tell me about that. <laughs> but like, what, what was the information, he had information that I didn't that, hit him back? That he can, no, that he can knock you over, which is, of course... <laughs> <laughs> Well, I didn't realize he was doing research on me. No, yeah, the, the chimpanzees are always in one-upmanship. Can, who can I dominate? And they will always try things out. And uh, I think he, he had learned uh, one one small thing about you. And, and if he would have stayed in that cage for a long time, he would probably have done it another time. That's so interesting. But meanwhile, he, he uh, ameliorates it a little bit by offering me this yeah, peace sure. gesture. He, he, Still want to stay friends with you, but but in an up, upward position. <laughs> you, you say an interesting thing that there's a lot of violence and displays of, th- I guess, threats of violence in uh, in a chimp colony, and and you say, and isn't that very much like the way we keep order in a human society? There, the uh, the th- the threats of violence are may not may, may not be on the surface and uh, obvious, uh, and the threats of retaliation for, for those violent moments may not be there, but may not be so obvious, but there mm-hmm. are laws that promise punishment mm-hmm. if we transgress. So it sounds like it's very similar. We mask it. We don't admit it. We don't, we, that's why one of the reasons we call them animals and don't include <laughs> ourselves in the group. Yeah, we follow by. To like that we follow it. these rules. If I, if I, I I have my car parked here in the parking lot, if I walk up to another car and open that car and drive away with it, if I could, you know, 
I would end up in prison probably. This, so, so even though my behavior seems extremely orderly, I, I walk back to a car and I drive away with it. Um, <laughs> there, there are very bad consequences if I do this. And, and we all know all these consequences and we know what we can do and what you cannot do. And so we, it, it is largely invisible, all these rules that we have to follow. But I think in a chimpanzee society, that happens the same way as if, if you introduce food, for example, and one of the lowest ranking females walks up to the food and claims it, well, all hell is going to break loose. She has to wait. She has to wait for the others. And, and she may get a share from somebody. That would be great. But she, um, she certainly cannot just walk up to the food. And so they follow these rules. And behind these rules is violence, also in human society, that make us behave certain ways. There seems to be memory at work here to a great degree. Uh, in fact, I even, I think I remember you telling me that um, when we met years ago, uh, we were standing on the uh, the platform watching the compound. I think you were telling me that they actually remember the n- n- amount of grooming they get from another person <laughs> yeah, 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 and, I mean, and will respond in kind, almost, uh, almost as if it's arithmetic going on. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about that ability to remember. So, yeah, we did, we did a study where in the morning we would just measure who grooms whom in the chimp colony because in the morning they always spend a few hours just sitting around and grooming each other. And we would take measures of that. And then later in the day we would introduce food. We would give them, for example, bundles of leaves, low-quality food, but they like to eat uh, those things. And uh, that's food that is shareable for them. And so we would throw in a few bundles like that and see who shares with whom. And if you do that many times, you can statistically connect it to. You can see if if I have been grooming with you in the morning uh, and, and you get the food in the afternoon, um, is my chance of getting some of that food uh, increased? And that's indeed the case. They seem to remember these grooming sessions and they seem to repay the favors that they have received. So there's basically memory-based reciprocity going on. And, and there's not so many species for which we have that evidence, but uh, in chimpanzees that seems to be... A chimpanzee society is basically an economy where you exchange sexual favors and political favors and grooming and food sharing. There's all these favors that you do each other and, and you have an economy of it. This brings up an interesting thought to me because I've, since we began talking years ago, I've wondered if human sense of morality is indirectly or directly related to our cousin's understanding of reciprocity mm-hmm. and, and fairness. Mm-hmm. We have a sense of fair behavior from other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, You've really studied that, haven't you? Fairness among chimps. Yeah, yeah. So we we do experiments on the sense of fairness in both chimps and and monkeys. It started with a very simple study that we did on capuchin monkeys, together with Sarah Brosnan, a student of mine. We discovered that these monkeys pay attention to what others get. Now, you would think that's maybe fairly normal, but if, if you have these monkeys trained on a very simple task and you give them food... They're not just keeping track of what they did and how much food they got, but they also look what the neighbor is getting for the same task. <laughs> and uh, yeah. and so they shouldn't be doing that. I think they should just pay attention to what they But they do that. And humans do that, of course, also. If I have the same yeah. job as you 
and and I make twice as much money, you will notice and you will be a bit upset about it, you know? Um, yeah. it's same, we have the same thing bet- between men and women. Should they should they get the same salary or different salaries? That's that's sort of the discussion. Anyway, the monkeys... Um, but I think you've, I think you've given us, to, I think you've given us today a model for how women can remedy that the way the women, the females in the chimp colony, mm-hmm. uh, make make their wishes known in no uncertain terms. Yeah, 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 yeah. To the to the males who might not be fair to them. Well, that's uh, actually if you look at women's rights, that's the only way women have gotten rights. Like they had to fight for every for every step they had to fight. You know, so uh, yeah, yeah, you need to to make your wishes known. So in in the capuchin monkeys, anyway, we we started doing experiments to see. How they would respond if they get the same rewards? Like, let's say you give both, both monkeys, you give them cu- cucumber slices for the task. Or how they respond if you give them different rewards. One monkey gets cucumber slices, the other one gets grapes. And, and grapes are 10 times better than the cucumber slices. So then we do these experiments and we found that the monkeys get very upset if they get less than the other. They don't want to perform, even though normally they're willing to perform 25 times in a row for cucumber slices. If the partner is getting grapes, they do it maybe three times and then they become angry and then they stop. And so we um, we did that with the capuchins. And then later we did it with chimps and the chimps go further than the capuchins in the sense that the one who gets the grapes may also refuse to perform if the other one doesn't get grapes. And so the chimpanzees... Wait, tell, yeah. tell me that again. Say that again. That's, that's in really chimps, interesting. The one who gets the better reward may also refuse if the other one doesn't get the better reward. Because there seems to be a sense of fairness at play. They want to impose this fairness on the person who's giving out grapes and cucumbers? No, I think um, my theory is that it's all about cooperation. Both capuchin monkeys and chimps live in cooperative societies. But chimps are better better at thinking ahead. So chimps are better at prediction of future behavior. And I think they realize that if the partner is not happy, if the partner is pissed off because they only get cucumber... Um, they have a bad relationship with that partner. They will, they will, it will harm their relationship. And so they prefer that the partner also gets good food uh, in order to preserve that relationship. And chimps probably also do that in the hunting context, in the wild, because they hunt together. Uh, if, if, if one of them would always take all the good food and, and leave nothing for the rest, um, that would undermine their cooperation, because then the others, why would they work with that individual? And so I think it's all cooperation-based, and in human society, if you get large inequalities in human societies, as we have nowadays in American society, if you get these large inequalities, you're basically undermining the cooperative nature of the society. You're basically harming the, um, the fabric of society. And, and we know that actually from health data is that societies that are more unequal, they have also more trouble with health and longevity. Uh, so we know that there is a connection also in human society. Have you learned anything from chimps that we humans could benefit from if only we were a little more like that? Yeah, I find it hard to compare because, not because we humans are not comparable with chimps. I think we are very similar in our psychological makeup to chimps. But we live in these very large anonymous societies now. So that's the big difference with chimps. Chimps live in small-scale societies where everybody knows everybody, very much face-to-face kind of societies, the way we humans used to live. Our ancestors lived in that kind of societies. But now we live in these huge um, places where... 
where people actually can get away with inequality. So, so you have the 1%, as we call them, the grape eaters of this, um, this society. And so people can get away with these things that you couldn't get away with in a smaller scale, scale society. So it's a bit hard to compare uh, a chimpanzee um, community of maybe 100 individuals with our societies of maybe 300 million individuals. So it's, it's very hard to draw the connections. But in terms of basic psychology and, and emotional makeup, we are still very similar, I think. You clearly enjoy working with chimpanzees. Do you think they enjoy working with you? <laughs> uh, some of them do. Yeah, there's always these individual differences. Some of them may not like me, but uh, some of them do like me. So, yeah, I, I, I always enjoy animals. I've always loved animals, and um, whatever they want to do, they want to do, and, and I'm happy with it, yeah. Well, I'm happy talking with you. I, I, as always, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you. Before we end, mm-hmm. I, I hope um, hope you don't mind. We we usually end our shows with seven quick questions that invite seven quick answers. Okay. Are you game? Uh huh. Sure. Okay. You don't. You look a little suspicious. <laughs> yeah, I'm a bit skeptical. <laughs> what is this going to be? <laughs> they're they're basically questions about relating and communicating. Okay. It's really what you've okay. spent your life doing. Okay. What do you wish you what do, here's the first question what do you wish you really understood Hmm. I, I I would want to know we talked about feelings and emotions I would not want to know more about the feeling part so what what do the animals feel my suspicion is that they feel very similar things to what we feel but um it's hard to know at this moment Next question what do you wish other people understood about you Um about me as a person you mean yeah, or any way you want to interpret it. Yeah. Uh, well, well, my goal is to to bring humans and animals closer together. So, th- so, so that's um, I'm basically driven to explain to humans that they're animals, and and not everyone is open to the message, but many of many of them are. <laughs> <laughs> well, next one. What's the strangest question anyone's ever asked you? Oh, the strangest question. This, this is a funny story. I, I gave a lecture about bonobos one time for an audience in Michigan, for a university audience. And I had not realized that there were kids in the room. And so after my lecture, there was like a nine-year-old boy in the front who said, his first question, he said, what is masturbation? Oh. <laughs> he was sitting next to his mom. <laughs> And 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 I and I said, well, your mother will explain that to you. <laughs> and then she gave you a glare, right? <laughs> Here's one: How do you stop a compulsive talker? Gee, I I, I will just interrupt him. So, so I, I'm a man. I think um, men do that. We we like to interrupt. So I will just interrupt the guy in the middle of the sentence and and, and tell my own stuff. You know. <laughs> <laughs> what, the next question is there anyone for whom you just can't feel empathy anyone a, a particular person yeah. or, or chimp I don't know <laughs> in mm-hmm. your case I have to broaden the question yeah well people who bring who bring disaster onto themselves let's, let's say someone who is a very heavy drinker and then asks for a liver transplant I, I don't have a lot of sympathy for that kind of people yeah. Okay. Now, how do you like to deliver bad news in person, on the phone, or by carrier pigeon? 
I would do it in person. Okay. Last question. What, if anything, would make you end a friendship? That would be something uh, like lying or dishonesty or stealing. Uh, so, so that's something I cannot stand is dishonesty. So let me ask an eighth question as a follow-up to that one. How does that differ? How does your answer differ from what would make a chimp uh, end a friendship? I'm not sure I've seen chimps end friendships. Uh, oh, they might end alliances, but not yeah. necessarily friendships. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. that That would probably also be a case, let's say, the two of us, we're going to challenge the alpha male, but at the last, the very last moment, you withdraw and don't support me, which is a very, uh, very disastrous situation for me. Uh, yeah, that would maybe be a reason for me not to be with you anymore. Yeah. And do you, th you think you've observed that among chimps? Yeah, I think, I think they would be sensitive to that kind of um, lack of loyalty. Yeah. yeah. One more way in which we're like one another. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much, Francis. Thank it was great talking. Thanks, to you. Alan. Yeah. Bye bye. This has been clear and vivid. At least I hope so. My thanks to Discovery for being our presenting sponsor this season. All the income from the ads you hear go to the Center for Communicating Science at Stony Brook University. Just by listening to this podcast, you're contributing to the better communication of science. So thank you. For more information about the Alda Center, please visit aldacenter.org. Franz Duval began studying primates more than 40 years ago. When he first started, he was told never to consider the emotions of the animals. But a lot has changed since then, thanks to a body of scientific work and evidence that suggests animals can and do express some emotions similar to that of humans. Franz's latest book, Mama's Last Hug, explores this topic in detail, and his writing reveals much more about the fascinating ways in which emotion and communication manifest themselves across the animal world. This episode was produced by Graham Chedd with help from our associate producer, Sarah Chase. Our sound engineer is Dan DeZula. Our tech guru is Allison Costin. Our publicist is Sarah Hill. You can subscribe to our podcast for free at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. For more details about Clear and Vivid and to sign up for my newsletter, please visit alanalda.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Clear and Vivid, and I'm on Twitter at Alan Alda. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Next in our series of conversations, I talk with Dr. Eric Topol about how artificial intelligence can help improve not only the quality of medical care, but also our relationship with our doctor. The more deeply we understand each person as an individual, the better we can deliver the, the right medicine. So let's say biology, like the genome, uh, their anatomy through scans, the physiology through sensors, their environment through sensors. So collecting all that data about a person is going to get us to a point which no human could do. That's why we need help from machines. 
the surprising way that machines can make your doctor's visit more personal. Next time on Clear and Vivid. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.